Hi, and welcome to Birth Trauma Training for Birth Workers, the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Erin Bow, clinical and perinatal psychologist and coach. Do you believe trauma could be our biggest teacher? Do you believe that birth is about so much more than just a healthy baby? I'm on a mission to make sure that every birth worker who experiences vicarious trauma has the skills, tools and support that is needed to sustain a long-term career and not burn out. Join me as we explore how to achieve post-traumatic growth and beautiful resilience with the mind-body-spirit connection. We'll strategize how to do sustainable self-care discuss holistic support options and what's happening in our current birth climate. This is not about grabbing your pom-poms and saying just be positive but this podcast is all about finding the strength and beauty from the broken parts. Ground yourself first, take a long slow deep breath in, feel the inner balloon and sit with your body in the present moment. Are you ready? Let's go. Hi and welcome back. So today I'm going to talk you through something a little bit different, I suppose, which is what I do differently when I've got a couple or a birthing person who've had birth trauma in the past and they're coming for childbirth education. Because this is something I've been asked about a few times in terms of what are some special considerations that you need to have? How do you need to um, how do you need to manage things just that little bit more sensitively and carefully, I suppose, when you've got a couple who have had a birth in the past and the birth hasn't been exactly what they wanted or you know even full to the it's been really quite distressing and awful for them. So they're trying to do things differently a second or third or fourth or subsequent time. And how childbirth education can help with that process. Because sometimes I think we think of childbirth education as being something that only first-time parents do. Um, So my background, I suppose, if you don't know already, is I've trained as a hypnobirthing Australia practitioner. So I can talk within the context of what I do in that course. And maybe some of you will be listening, my fellow hypnobirthing practitioners. But also I think this might be useful if you're someone who has had a traumatic birth yourself and you're thinking about doing something like a hypnobirthing course to help you with a subsequent birth. So it is a different experience this time. So I suppose often the thing that would happen to me is that people would volunteer that information. So I usually know that someone has already had a traumatic birth because that's why they contact me. Um, I suppose that's what people <laughs> know before. And sometimes I get a lot of information in that first phone call or email and sometimes I don't get much at all. And that's absolutely fine. It's up to each person because I think the main thing obviously needs to be trust and taking the time to hear that person's story in a way that they are ready to talk about it so that you're getting a full enough picture that you are helping to prevent, reduce um, some of the experiences that didn't go so wonderfully the first time and getting all that background information but doing it in a way that's comfortable for the person doing the retelling so that they're not re-traumatising themselves, re-traumatising their partner and re-traumatising a group um, potentially. So 
My number one, I suppose, hint, tip would always be see them one-on-one by themselves in a private setting if possible. Sometimes it can work if you've got other couples in the class who are on to a second or third baby as well. But I think most people who've had a traumatic birth don't really want to do a class with a bunch of brand new um, potential parents anyway, just for all the obvious reasons. But if it's not something that they've thought about or considered and it's within your scope and capacity to do so, I would always see these clients on their own to give them that individual attention to slow down, speed up, cover what they want to cover um, in a way that's useful and meaningful to them. Because the thing I suppose that you find is that all couples have anxiety about their birth, but couples with birth trauma naturally have like full-blown, not just anxiety sometimes, but real horror, a real sense of powerlessness and a real sense of feeling of control being taken away, decisions being made for them, um, out-of-body experiences, all kinds of things. So we very much need to keep these people grounded and anchored and in their body in as much as possible with an awareness that you don't need to be a hypnotherapist or a therapist or a psychologist or anything like that in order to help people keep calm and keep them grounded but there are definitely some things that you can do to help that process and help yourself identify when someone is just mm, I wouldn't say like slipping into an altered state of consciousness or something like that, but they are distressed. So either they're starting to cry, they're starting to get upset, they're having those feelings of needing to leave the room or look away or not listen. Um, Or sometimes people do the opposite and they dissociate. So they maybe look calm, but they're not, their eyes aren't fixating up somewhere else and their breathing's changed. And you can just tell that they're um, not fully present, I suppose, fully with it. Um, so I, I think it would be useful to talk through a few things around, I mean, that's a whole different podcast episode in itself, how to help someone who's dissociating, I suppose, but just the basics of how to make things more comfortable for people. I think um, my, I'll just do it in terms of like maybe my number two, number three top kind of things to think about. So the first one, as I've covered, individual attention as much as possible, reducing, because what you're trying to do is reducing potential distress to other couples who are very much, you know, very rightfully so wanting to focus on their own positive journey and not hear horror stories, even though we know that horror stories sometimes happen. Um, And also reducing the chance that that couple is going to feel like they need to couch things and they need to water things down because they don't want to scare other people or upset them or ruin their experience or anything like that. And also funny things sometimes happen in groups with people with trauma that people get triggered by all sorts of things and we can't ever completely 100% anticipate what that is going to be and figure out how we're going to manage it and go into I don't know damage control is a kind of like extreme way of talking about it but managing those experiences so that the class is a good experience for everybody. So I've covered that. But also thinking about the pace in which you go and giving lots and lots and lots of prompts. So with things, for example, like birth videos, and I know this because I've, I've seen it happen with myself and I've seen it happen with other um, 
childbirth education practitioners or midwives or nurses or people that I've taught is when you have seen a lot of birth videos or you've seen a lot of the same birth videos over and over and over or maybe you've witnessed a lot of births, you can kind of just not see it for fresh eyes at the time of viewing it. It's sort of like, oh, yep, that's that birth and that's that detail and the things that you know, you forget other people don't know. So I guess a really common example might be and this is not just for traumatised couples, but for anybody. If you're going to show a video of a water birth where you've got, um, you know, babies crowning and then heads sitting there and then shoulders are ready to be birthed, that can feel like a really, really, really long time to watch. And for some people who don't understand fully, um, or maybe they understand but they still have a very strong visceral body reaction to it watching a baby born in water when you know the baby's not pulled up straight away and is breathing and um crying and doing all the things that we expect babies to do sometimes from watching tv that can be really confronting for people um if we don't remember that not everybody knows that babies don't drown when they're just hanging out there <laughs> for a couple of seconds um, it feels like a really 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 long time when you watch it back on video and for people who've had a traumatic birth maybe you know there's been breathing difficulties or baby was born blue or all kinds of things that can happen that can be really really distressing for people so I would always even in you know seemingly not particularly um, I don't know provocative evocative type situations always prompt people tell them what's coming tell them what's happening so I would say this is the video we're going to watch what you're going to see is this and this and this if at any time you want to pause you want me to stop you want me to explain what's happening let me know so doing lots and lots and lots of prompting um, if you know I guess things about the client's history where a particular emergency happened or a particular um, incident happened where they were made to feel you know belittled or small or not safe or whatever that person's scenario is and we're then starting to talk about assertiveness skills or we're starting to talk about what to do in different types of um, suggestions where intervention might be suggestion and that kind of thing always always prompt so you're you're prepping in a way that's scanning your material as if you were seeing it for the first time yourself and remembering, okay, how was this how is this presenting to me not as someone who has taught this forever or this has helped um, people birth babies in a hospital or a home birth or has birthed my own babies. <clears throat> but look at this like the eyes of someone who is absolutely terrified. What in my material, whether it's pictures, stories, videos that I'm sharing, the language that I'm using, what in this could possibly um, make somebody feel not quite so comfortable in the moment? And what can I do to prep them for that? So say so I'm about to start talking about this. And it's just a little bit more of a sensitivity and giving people a chance to catch up, to deal with that fight or flight response that kicks in before they hear the information because people cannot learn when they are in fight or flight, that, um, you know, fight, flight, freeze or pease response happens, the learning part of your brain shuts down, it stops. It's not possible to learn new information while you're in the midst of distress and trauma. So as much as possible, reorienting people back, bringing them back to the room, bringing them back to, you know, lots of reminders to do things. Like again, like the birth process, like do you want to get a drink of water? Do you want to have a break? What can I do? making everything about them and 
all the control as much as possible, giving them um, the accelerator and the brake, I suppose. It's kind of like, um, I don't know, sometimes I think teaching traumatised couples, it's a little bit like um, rally driving. (laughs) I don't know where I'm going with this example, but I guess you're the one who has all the information but they're the ones in control and you want them as much as possible to feel like they can apply the brakes or apply the accelerator whenever they choose to or like full on get out of the car and like, you know, not go back if they want to. Um, So we do that by giving lots of choice and lots of options and in other places where we might just continue to the next slide or continue to the next video, we're making sure that we ask, okay, how, you know, it might be you're asking kind of like, tell me how you're going, like zero to five, whereas zero is I'm perfectly chillaxed and calm and five is I'm really distressed. Three is I'm somewhere in the middle. Um, and what can we do to change that? You know, whether it is pausing, breaking, or they want to just keep going. So everybody's different. I've worked with some people who've um, had traumatic births and they don't want to stop. They just want to keep going, (laughs) just like persist through it. And then I'll sort of like, you know, deal with the psychophysiological come down of that after other people need lots of breaks and they want to stop and take it really, really, really slow. So everybody is different. The trick is not assuming that you know what people want. We need to ask people what they want um, and be, you know, fully prepared for the fact that they might not know what they want. And that's absolutely okay too. We just try things on. Again, it's like birth. You just try something. Like as we say to birth partners, you just try something. And if that's not working for them, they can swat us away and say, no, I don't want to do that. And you try something else. Um, So any sort of material that you've looked at and gone, that could potentially be distressing to this couple, whether it's because, um, you know, we forget about the, the water birth stuff or we forget, um, you know, sometimes when babies shoot out super, super fast or sometimes when things um, are a bit stop-start, bit stop-start and that's absolutely fine but that reminds that person of what it's like to be in a situation where someone's like, oh, well, you know, you're not progressing or things are taking a bit too long or whatever it might be. So also, again, thinking about... um, like in our Hypnobirthing Australia course, we have a whole section on language and the preferred, I guess, terms that we use in hypnobirthing versus, um, you know, the more traditional terms. With the view that language is super, super, super powerful, it affects every, well, not every part of your brain, but it affects parts of your brain that you don't even realise it's affecting when it's happening at the time. So all those effects like... Um, you know, when you're learning something new for the first time, I was like, I always used to um, <laughs> say to students, like, you ideally shouldn't study when you've got music on, particularly if it's got lyrics, because your brain is primed to listen to language and that will distract you from the task um, that you're supposed to be doing. So we know that language is really powerful, but it is, of course, a personal choice. And as we always say, or as I always say, if you don't really care about using the word contraction versus using the word surge, then that's absolutely fine. But there's a lot of reasons to think about supplementing or changing language so that it is removing a lot of those past negative connotations for things that we have. So being mindful of language that was used and sometimes I will say to clients or I'll ask them and I'll try and get a sense of was there particular language or words that was used at the time of your birth that made you cringe or made you feel unsafe or made you feel ick and that could be anything 
you know, it's again, it's a personal, it's very much a personal thing. So it's, it's assessing anything that you might, it's, oh, don't read this as like anything you might be say, might be saying could traumatize someone, but it's, again, it's going back to choice. What would you prefer? The term I use here, would you, um, do you want to call this something else, like for the purposes of taking you through the information? So that again, the brain is not distracted by being distressed and it can, um, retain the information and learn new information as it needs so trauma is a six senses experience really and I say six senses because there's sight the sound the smell the touch the taste sometimes and then there's this other I think there's that experience sometimes that we can't quite put into words we can't quite verbalize but it's something other some other sort of bodily experience that you can't, as I said, yeah, you can't verbalise. So whether it's a subconscious thing or it's a bodily thing or it's just something on the tip of your tongue but can't quite explain to me what experience, um, how you would actually describe it. So that's kind of why I say six senses. And not everybody knows what all their triggers are until they're in a room talking about something or witnessing something or looking at something and it's amazing sometimes the stuff that comes up um, particularly to do with yeah smells and taste that's a an unexamined one sometimes in the sense of birth but you know when we talk about people having aversions to hospital smells or having aversions to taste because they can remember um, you know maybe they had some gas in there and they can remember the taste of that or it was something they ate just before they started to hit transition or got really nauseous or, um, you know, the dinner they had the night before and then they were throwing up. So there's all sorts of things to be thinking of and I guess preparing your space um, in a way that's mindful for that as well. So bearing in mind that just because you find lavender relaxing and most of your other clients like it doesn't mean that that's going to be a good thing for this particular couple at this particular time because something that once gave you pleasure and calm might then be the source of your distress so checking on things like that always checking things like the positioning like how far away you are from people I think a big thing um that's talked about in Babette Rothschild's work is about positioning yourself from like distance from someone and how much of a difference that can make to someone's comfort level. So whether, and this is in a therapy context rather than a birth context, but asking people, would you like, are you happy with where I'm sitting? Do you want me to move back a bit? Do you need me to move in a bit? Do you want me to go to the left? Do you want me to go to the right? And it's something I always do in therapy because I have seen it make phenomenal differences to people's comfort level, but it's not something we always feel... Um, comfortable asking for because I don't know we're just primed to sort of not say to people hey like you're a little bit in my face (laughs) could you can you move back half a meter or so or could you just orient your body so that you're not quite looking straight at me because of course birth is such a personal bodily experience and for a lot of people there's a lot of um, not necessarily you know traditionally as you would think about it um, intrusive kind of interactions that happen but things happen to your body that are not necessarily always anticipated and expected in a way that's within your consent and what you want to have happen so even small things like that giving people um, that locus of control for where they want to position themselves and where they feel comfortable because whilst we have a general idea of what personal space means it's different 
for everybody and some people need a lot more space around them and other people feel um, more disconnected if you're further away so checking things like that and of course you know the temperature and the light and um, all those kind of things that seem like they're common sense but again not assuming I once again this is in the context of therapy not birth but it's still a good example I once had a client who uh, actually really liked the room very cold <laughs> like I wouldn't say uncomfortably cold um, for me being the Scottish heritage Tasmanian person that I am but chilly like she liked that room chilly and it took us a while to sort of get um, for her to be comfortable enough to say that but part of her history was living in a situation and going through traumatic experiences in a very hot small stuffy room and so small well not necessarily small but rooms that were of a certain temperature which might even just be ambient temperature um, were very uncomfortable for her and so she worked better she did better trauma work and was much more comfortable if the room was cold because she felt more like she was out in the fresh air and it just helped her so again not making assumptions that room temperature is maybe what people like maybe they actually want it a bit warmer maybe they want it a bit colder and being prepared to go with that because that's what's going to help um, the client feel better same with you know sorts of noises um you know some people and you know if you've ever taught hypnobirthing you've taught hypnosis you'll see this sometimes when you take people through hypnosis and some people go straight into it and other people like no all I could hear was the clock or all I could hear um was the light buzzing or I could hear a plane overhead and then I got distracted so background noises that you can't control too much because I think a huge part of um prepping people again for another birth is teaching them that you can't 100% control background environment noises particularly if you're in a hospital but using that as an experience of going okay that's something that is your brain's reacting to in a way that it's not just background for you you're actually paying attention to it so what can we do to either use that as a hypnotic anchor to get you to relax deeper or to work with that and figure out um, is that part of the experience that you're remembering so again not going in and doing therapy this is not um <laughs> podcasters and what about training people to do trauma therapy but it's just it's awareness I think this is a huge big thing it's awareness of how can you make people feel more comfortable and a huge part of that is openness and trust and it's often I think the little things I um Actually, when I teach hypnobirthing classes, even not with hyp um, hypnotised couples, with <laughs> traumatised couples, something I talk about is saying to them, okay, so I'm asking you about how's the temperature of the room and do you need a coffee? Does anyone need a toilet break? And this is mini practice for your birth. So if you can't in a relatively relaxed, hopefully with a low threat um, person like myself, ask and negotiate for what you want, how are you going to do that in your birth when it's a lot harder again potentially you're in a hospital with you know we hear the stories of you go into someone else's space and it doesn't feel like your own space and so you don't ask for what you want and if you don't ask you don't get so um I think that yeah for any birthing couple is a good thing um it's like a little bit of assertiveness training stuff that I like to kind of just do on the side of yes I'm being super attentive and asking you know is the temperature okay is the light all right is the smells okay because pregnant people are sensitive to things anyway but that for me is also taking them through some practice of okay asking for what you want um, if it's going to help no matter how silly 
you think it might sound so you know or that you don't want to make a fuss like this is the time to make a fuss is it not particularly after you've had a traumatic birth and like yep this is the t- this is the time to make a fuss so that's a couple of little things um that I do differently it might be that we skip certain sections which you might with second third time parents anyway but the main thing is doing lots and lots and lots of check-ins and making sure they feel in control with the full expectancy, um, which happens sometimes. It hasn't actually happened in one of my classes yet. It actually hasn't happened in therapy either. But I think sometimes if you name it up, it's more likely to not happen, which is the very real possibility that that person's distress might overtake them to the point that they feel like they want to leave. And I would say that to clients, okay, they might, for whatever reason, even though we're putting on the brakes, you're in control, you're in the driver's seat, you might have a point in which you feel like you need to flee because that is part of the normal distress response. Um, And as I said, it's not actually happened to me, but I think sometimes if you just give people that option, it's almost like you're saying to them, and if you do that, that's okay. It has to be okay. You know, trauma has to be navigated in a way that is what someone can cope with um, at the time. But part of, I suppose, preventing that process um, is going through things like, all right, so you're coming to this course, what are you going to do straight after? Are you driving home by yourself? How long is that drive? What are you going to do? So always suggesting to people, if you're working on something that is going to be triggering and it is going to be traumatic Have having a plan for after so that you, particularly for the couples who've already got a child, the, the desire to just get in the car, quick, relieve the babysitter and go straight home without actually having, um, I suppose, decompressed a bit and processed a bit, which they will do with you a little bit, but it's not the same as going home and processing with your partner. Um, so just taking an extra half an hour, if possible, more would be better, to sit and just let things soak in. Let your body come back to homeostasis. Let it relax. Let your you know, um, nervous system just sort of go back to a regular level so that you're not um, taking a lot of that adrenaline and cortisol and all the stuff that's been floating through your body while you've been doing some of the work um, and bringing it straight back into your house. Um, that can help. So I think preparing people just with a, all right, you've got a plan, you've got somewhere to go, you've got um, something that you've thought through so that you're not um, as likely to get stuck in the like, no, this is too hard, I need to leave. Which isn't to say that um, I suppose going and doing a hypnobirthing class is necessarily like a huge traumatic thing in and of itself. Some people relax into it really well and find it really helpful. But I think it's wise and it's given to expect some things might come up and those things being reminders of birth, being reminders of horror stories or whatever it might be is normal and expected and the process that we're trying to get to is to sit with it and help the brain realise that this is a different baby, it's a different pregnancy, it's a different year most likely, different outcome and the more that you can do that, the more that you can train your brain, teach your brain to come back to the present and not go back into somewhere in the past 
because again remembering all that stuff about brain doesn't know the difference between what's real and what's imagined and often the brain doesn't know the difference between today yesterday five years ago 30 years ago in some cases when it's based on a feeling and that feeling is a very strong feeling of um, feeling like your life is in danger or feeling like you need to escape so doing a lot of those kind of check-ins and that's the kind of thing I would be doing if I'm seeing that someone is getting distressed and, you know, okay, you've offered breaks, you've gone through the reassurance, it's sometimes just the, okay, going back to the grounding of, all right, where are we? What year is it? What am I wearing? What are we doing? Why are we here? Not quite, you know, firing <laughs> quite that much at them, but you're getting them to remind their brain back to where they are. So we're not back at that trauma with that baby with that birth that didn't have the outcome that you wanted this is a different baby different outcome different situation and this is what we're planning for so whilst it is a little bit of the processing of what happened in the past it's mostly preparing for the future because remembering doing um doing a hypnobirthing course is not a replacement for therapy and I have had clients I've worked with who have done both with me or with someone else or they've just done the hypnobirthing. And I think that's fine. It's absolutely someone's choice, what they want to do. Not everybody who's experienced a trauma necessarily needs therapy per se. And again, sometimes people don't know what they want. Um, and in cases where people are really, really distressed and they're not managing to get through the material, that would be an indication to me that they need something in an adjunct to that because in order to learn you need to not be distressed, as I said. And so whilst being distressed is a expected outcome, whenever you're talking about something that's going to be triggering, you need to be able to get it to a state that you are, you're never going to be 100% comfortable with it, but it's manageable. And if it's not manageable, then I'd be suggesting like, okay, I'm noticing that we're, we're struggling to get through this and this is okay. But I'm wondering if what we need to do is actually get um, your distress in check first. So if it's always at a five and it's not getting lower than a five or a four while I'm teaching you this stuff, I think we need to do something in place of that or um, in conjunction with that to get you to at least a two or a three. Otherwise, your brain's just not going to absorb the information and that's just a byproduct of the traumatized brain and I would explain it that way so being clear with people this is not a personal failing this is not oh I tried that and it didn't work it's just there are optimal just as there are optimal um, considerations for birth there are optimal considerations for learning and not being highly distressed for the whole time is definitely one of them thanks so much for joining me today thanks for taking the time out for yourself to sit back and do some mind body connection about this really really important topic it really will go a long way I hope to understanding yourself understanding what you need for your own personal and professional growth and changing this awful climate of birth culture that we've got so if you're feeling, you know, distressed, triggered, even just a bit shaken up by something, even if you're not exactly sure what it is, make sure that you take a breath, come back, centre yourself to where you are and what you're doing and what you're going to be doing next 
And if you're feeling like you need some support or you know someone who does, you can call Lifeline in Australia, so 13 11 14, or you can call Panda, 1300 726 306, and that's a Monday to Friday um, that the calls are open. So working through trauma is clearly, it's a non-negotiable in order to have a sustainable career as a birth worker. And if you want to train with me, there's a couple of different ways that you can do that. So you can do mentoring, coaching. So not necessarily therapy per se, but you know, there's the option up my sleeve as being a trained therapist. But if you want to work with me in a one-on-one capacity, or you want to do my online course, Birth Trauma Training for Birth Workers, that's coming out relatively soon, then you can do that. And you can find me and contact me through drerin.com.au. So hopefully you've walked away from this feeling something that you needed to hear today or you've learnt something or you're feeling just that little bit of extra (laughs) excited, anxious, uncomfortable, something that is going to propel you to move forward, take some small step forward in whatever that looks like for you. Talk to you next time.